of two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, uh, you will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The Pharisees also who were covetous heard all these things, and they derided him. He said, You are they which justify yourselves before men, and God knoweth your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it, and it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle, one jot of the law should fail. The law and the prophets are until John. Since that time the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. It's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than that one tittle of the law to fail. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a man who was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. As you listen, you can expect the Word of the Living God to encourage, challenge, and comfort you. We live in difficult times, but we can expect our God to provide answers to the big questions in your life through His Word. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Luke chapter 16, on the Unchanging Word Bible broadcast, Dr. Mitchell begins with verse 16. He will be discussing the right use of money as contrasted with covetousness. And it should be noted that how one earns money and how one uses money should be based on faithfulness, not unrighteousness. And in this portion of Scripture, Jesus speaks to the Pharisees about divorce. Well, apparently they had divorced over the matters of riches, of money, which is not biblical. For what the Old Testament did say to the Pharisees, read Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. Well, moving on from here, Dr. Mitchell relates the true story of the rich man and Lazarus from the mouth of Jesus himself. Jesus knows what is on the other side of death, comfort for the believer and torment for the unbeliever. You're listening to the scriptures from the Unchanging Word Bible broadcast with Dr. Mitchell, Luke chapter 16, verse 16. We again come to you with studies in the gospel through Luke, and we're in chapter 16 of this amazing gospel. And again, to bring it up, bring you folk up to date who have not been listening in uh, regularly, uh, we're dealing here with the Lord teaching his disciples at the beginning of chapter 16. And may I again remind you that the Lord has three groups in mind in these chapters, in chapters 14, 15, and 16. And you even get into 17. He teaches the Pharisees and scribes. In fact, I would rather say he rebukes the Pharisees and scribes and warns them concerning their own condition before God. And then he gave in chapter 15 the question of the publicans and sinners. That's the other side of society. And he's the friend of publicans and sinners. And, when you come, and then you have in chapter 16, and here and there through these chapters, he turns to the disciples 
and warns them about certain things. At the beginning of chapter 16, right on down through verse uh, 13, we have the Lord speaking of the sin of covetousness. And he gives the story of the rich man and a steward. And the rich man commends the steward for his astuteness, not for his crookedness, but for his astuteness in business. And the Lord takes that and uses it as an illustration that the children of this world are wiser in their generation. That is, they take care of their generation. And they're living for this generation. And they're living for themselves here on earth without any thought of the future. They're zealous for things down here. And they're more zealous for things down here than the children of God are for the things of heaven, the things of glory, the things of God. It's a sad picture, but it's true. I wish indeed that we Christians had as much zeal for the things of Christ and for the things of God and for the Word of God and for the gospel of God as the world is concerning their zeal for the things, especially material things down here. Men will sell their own souls for the mammon of unrighteousness, which is riches, money. Nothing wrong with money. There's the love of money. That's the root of all evil, as we read in, in Timothy. And then he talks about the fact that we have to have, man can't serve two masters. You either will hate the one and love the other, or you will hold to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't be a, a follower of God and also love the riches of this world. And by the way, may I say in this connection, the Pharisees, you know, they believed that the very fact that they were rich was a sign of the blessing of God. My, what a thunderbolt when the Lord says, that which is highly esteemed among men, and he's still talking about this question of riches, is an abomination to God. In fact, the Pharisees and scribes of the, our Lord's day, they thought that because they were being blessed in this world's goods, and they, they didn't think anything at all about robbing widows or being deceitful in their business, or even using the temple courtyard as a place for business, um, in fact, they had a racket. They had a racket using the temple as a racket. Even the priests came along, and uh, they had their rake off too. And the Lord here is, 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 re, is rebuking them for this thing. You remember how they scorned him? They lifted up their nose in contempt for the Savior. But he said, that which you're doing is an abomination to God. Let me make it very clear to you today. I speak especially to those of you who are Christians. May we learn the lesson. May we have zeal for God and the things of God, and our hearts set upon things of God instead of having our hearts set upon uh, material gain down here which, is, which passes with the using of it. That's why our Lord said an amazing thing in verse 16. The law and the prophets are until John. Since that time, since John... The kingdom of God is preached. Our Lord was there right among them preaching it. In fact, he was the king, rejected king. And every man pressed into it. In other words, he's still dealing, he's still warning these Pharisees 
that if you're going to come into the kingdom of God, you've got to put your foot on and change this great desire you have for material gain. I repeat it, my friend, because I'm living in a day when uh, a person who, who gathers together wealth is looked upon as a successful thing, and yet it's an abomination to God. Nothing wrong with having money. The question is how to use it. There's a right way to use it, and there's a wrong way to use it. And if you're using it for the glory of God, as a faithful steward of God, uh, then, then you will be rewarded by God. You use it for self and for the desires of self, and the lust of the flesh, so on. Then you come under the judgment of God. This is an abomination to God. So he rebukes these Pharisees for this. And he goes on to say, it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than that one tittle of the law to fail. In other words, the word of God is abideth forever. God is going to fulfill every detail of the Bible. Whatever any promise of God and any prophetic picture of God and in his purpose and plan for man from Genesis to Revelation, he's going to fulfill every bit of it. When God speaks, he means exactly what he says, and he's going to fulfill it. The heavens may pass away, the earth may pass away, generation after generation passes away, but the word of God stands forever. And I say this, my friend, when I realize that today, uh, uh, a great many of our leaders, not only in politics, not only in the field of economics, not only in church leaders, but all over the world, especially in the Christian world, the word of God has been thrown out. And yet I tell you, my friend, when this present generation of critics have gone off the scene, the word of God will still be here. Remember what Peter says? In 1 Peter chapter 1, 23 and 24 and 25, that we've been born again of the incorruptible seed of the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And how often our Lord said to the people of his day, the heavens will pass away, the earth will pass away, but my word will never, never pass away. Oh, friend, listen, you can bank upon the word of God. I don't care what men say. If you go to a university where our textbooks are changing about every year, the Word of God goes on generation after generation after generation. In fact, the psalmist could say, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And when my generation and your generation has passed off the scene, the Word of God will still be doing its job in the hearts and lives of people. That's why I continually urge you to read and reread and get to know the Word of God. This is where God has revealed himself is through his word. And the Spirit of God is here to take that word and make it a living reality in our lives. That's what I say when the Lord here warns these Pharisees. The word of God, not one jot or one tittle will pass away till every word be fulfilled. The heavens may pass away, the earth may pass away. His word will still be here still be here, right on through eternity. Why? Why, it's the word of the living God. And what he says he means. He means exactly what he says. May God grant to you and to me a consuming hunger for the word of God. A desire to know it. And isn't it wonderful that the Spirit of God indwells you and me to teach us, as our Lord could say 
in John chapter 16. He will guide us into all truth, and may our minds and our hearts be open to it. Now, a strange thing happens in the chapter. You take, for example, in verse, in verse 18. Having said these things, I find this, he says, Whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband, committeth adultery. Why in the world did Jesus put that in there? You know, there are, there are those who say that, that some writer later on slipped this verse into this chapter. It has no place in the chapter. But it does have a place in the chapter. Remember, our Lord is talking to these Pharisees and scribes. They, they have scorned him. Uh, they have, as I say, put up their nose in, in their pride against the Savior. And he says that these things which were greatly esteemed of them as an abomination to God, then he brings in the law and the prophets were until John. Then he talks about the fact that the word of God is going to continue, that every, every tittle of the law is going to be fulfilled. Then he puts in this question concerning family relationships. Now, I would suggest we don't build on this 18th verse. If you're going to build on this question of, of divorce, marriage and divorce and so on, take the whole scripture that is revealed on it. I would suggest you take the 19th chapter of the gospel through Matthew. I would also suggest you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 24, where Moses and the Mosaic economy, when the law of divorce was given to Israel, to God's people in the wilderness, there was only one ground for divorce. What is the Lord bringing in here? Because he's going after these Pharisees concerning their, their covetousness. They were living for one thing, for money. They wanted to be rich. And all that goes with riches. How many, I repeat, how many families have been broken up because of riches? Now, the old, the old uh, writers that is, of the elders who wrote their own expositions of the Bible, like uh, the great Rabbi Hillel. And these fellows said that if a woman didn't cook a meal right or she burned the toast or whatever it was, this was ground for divorce. Put her out, give her a bill of divorcement, marry somebody else. In other words, they were making mockery of the Word of God. They were living for themselves instead of the Word of God. Not only money-wise, and yet notice how he connects money. The mammon of unrighteousness with this question of family. Whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery. Now in Matthew 19, there was only one ground for adultery, one ground for divorce. In Deuteronomy 24, there was only one ground for divorce. That was unfaithfulness. And these Pharisees and these scribes who were boasting about being leaders of God's people, they, they were covetous. The one thing they wanted was money and all that went with it even to the breaking down of their families, putting their wives out and marrying somebody else. 
And the Lord just brings us right in because he's talking about the word of God. And they were not using the word of God correctly. They were making the word of God fit their own desires like so many people do today, which opens the door for the illustration. Now, when he starting at verse 19 and run through to the end of the chapter, he illustrates. Shall I put it this way? He pulls to one side what happens in eternity. The Pharisees were given over to covetousness, to money, and all that pertains to it. And their lives were absolutely an abomination to God. The word of God had no effect in their lives. It took the word of God to defend their position. They were adding to the word of God. Now the Lord just takes the, uh, the shade and just pulls it open. And now we get a picture what's on the other side of death. And he gives us the story of a rich man and Lazarus. Now it's not a parable. I believe here that the Lord gives us a perfect illustration of what's on the other side of death. And remember, he's warning these Pharisees. Let me read the first part of the illustration. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fed sumptuously every day. A good picture of these Pharisees and scribes. Verse 20, And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. Now let me just let me just stop right there for a few moments. And I've only got a few moments left for today's lesson. Now remember what he's doing. He has been talking for two or three chapters, Pharisees, sinners. Pharisees have no use for sinners. The Lord Jesus Christ was scorned by the Pharisees, and he loved sinners. He has taught them, he's rebuked them, and he informs them now that decisions made here affect their eternal future. Christ here gives to us a picture of the other side of the grave. And by the way, he is the only one who has been on the other side and can inform us concerning it. Now let's get this thing very clear in our minds. Nobody has died and been on the other side and returned. Every once in a while I read somebody's tract about the time they were in heaven. I take that with a big pinch of salt. You know, Jesus Christ is the only one who can speak with the authority of what happens on the other side of death. I find in this passage, and remember our Lord is talking to these Pharisees, at the same time he's instructing his disciples. Pharisees were rich, and I'm repeating this. Pharisees were covetous. Their life was filled up with getting things down here, and they didn't care how they got them. 
He would rob widows' houses to get the money. They lived sumptuously every day. That's the rich man. On the other side of the coin, we got the publicans and sinners. Manifested, or should I say illustrated, in Lazarus, this poor beggar. And I find here that the decision made on earth affects one's eternal future. You and I are making decisions down here. Our decisions are going to determine our eternal future. Is it not then a point of wisdom that you and I be sure of what's going to happen after we leave this world? You see, friend, death plays no favorites. The rich man died. His wealth didn't keep death away. The poor man died too. The beggar died. Whether you're rich or poor, whether you're wise or ignorant, whatever your circumstances may be down here, your choice determines what your future's going to be. You remember it says in Hebrews chapter 9, 27, it is appointed unto men once to die, and after that, judgment. You see, I, I choose down here what I'm going to have through eternity. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, the second verse, Apostle Paul writes, Now is the accepted time, now is the day of salvation. Now it's strongly urged, my friend, for you to examine your own heart. Is the center of your life of getting on in, in the world, getting on in this generation, as the Lord speaks of it, giving yourselves over to the mammon of unrighteousness, riches, money, material gain, living for the present, or has God come into your life? Has the Savior come into your life? And you've received the Savior. You're putting your trust in Him. You're building for eternity. My friend, listen, all of us are building for eternity. And our decisions down here will affect where we're going to be and what we will be in eternity. You see, a man only lives a few years on earth and he's gone. Peter says, we're like the grass of the field. We're here today and gone tomorrow. James says, we're like a fleeting shadow. We're gone. Life at the best is a very brief space of time. A man may be lived to 80 or 90 years of age. It's a brief space of time. Do you not think it would be a point of just plain wisdom for men and women, for you and for me, to decide where we're going to spend eternity? You mean to tell me I can make that decision here? You certainly can. And God expects you to. He that hath the Son of God hath life, eternal life, resurrection life. He that hath not the Son of God shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth upon him. That's why Jesus said to the people of his day, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. He that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. The difference between heaven and hell is Christ. The difference between life and death is Christ. In other words, my decision down here will determine where I'm going to go 
after I leave this scene. And here in this chapter, chapter 16 of Luke, which we're going to take up in our next lesson, some tremendous things are in this chapter. My friend, read it and reread it and reread it. And let's see what the Savior has to say concerning the eternal future. And the Lord bless you today for his name's sake. More time for the Lord. More time for his word. More time to be involved in winning souls who need his love. More time at this hour to pray for his power. Less time to spend on things and earthly gain. No time, no time is a sad refrain of an empty life, a barren life, a life that's lived in vain. Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study today. Write to us with your comments and your prayer requests to The Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. And so until next time, this is The Unchanging Word radio broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.